Today on the newscast is Iran's most elite and deadly unit finally about to be designated as a terrorist organization by Western countries. And why now? Find out next. Folks, Eric Stackelbeck here. Welcome to the Watchman Newscast. I've compared Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, or IRGC, to the Iranian regime version of the Nazi SS. They are the elite vanguard folks of the Iranian regime in charge of everything from Iran's nuclear program to its ballistic missile program to its terrorist operations across the Middle East and around the world. And they also have a major hand in Iran's economy. So if you want to hit Iran, hit the regime and hit it hard when it comes to sanctions, you want to sanction the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps. In particular, you want to designate them for what they are, a terrorist organization. Now, back in 2019, then President Trump did that. The United States designated the IRGC as a terrorist organization. Are other Western countries about to follow suit finally? And why now? Why have they waited so long? I'm going to break it down in a minute. Before I do, I just want to encourage you to subscribe to the Watchman News channel right here on YouTube and click the notification bell so you get alerts every time a new video is posted. Folks, we are posting every day, Monday through Saturday, and sometimes on Sunday, depending on the news cycle. So you want to be here with us throughout 2023 as we give you the inside story on what's happening in the world's most volatile and strategic region and why it matters to you no matter where you live. Okay, let's dig into this. As I mentioned, the U.S. designated the IRGC back in 2019. Canada has not designated the organization writ large, but Canada has designated the IRGC's Coods Force. Now, that's the elite of the elite within the IRGC. To give you an idea of how important the Coods Force is, that was the organization led by none other than the not-so-dearly-departed terror kingpin, Qasem Soleimani. So Canada has designated the Coods Force, but now we have Britain, France, Germany, Australia, and the European Union all talking about designating the IRGC as a terrorist organization. And again, folks, that would have major ramifications in terms of sanctions against Iran to target the IRGC, which I mentioned at the top is in charge of so much of Iran's illicit activities, would not only have symbolic value, of course, but would really hit the regime potentially in the wallet, which is a good thing. Why now? Two reasons, folks. Number one, uh, Iran cracking down, and we'll discuss this more in a minute with a guest, cracking down and, and literally, I'm sad to say, cracking skulls in the streets of Iran as these protests against the regime continue. They've been raging now for months. The Iranian regime is executing more and more people. Uh, Iranians who are just out in the streets and saying enough is enough with this regime. They're being tortured, imprisoned, and killed by the regime. And the West is saying, hey, wait a minute, this is clearly not a good thing. And finally, uh, about to perhaps hold the regime accountable? About time. Hey, one man who was just executed by the regime, Ali Reza Akbari, was a dual British-Iranian national 
Now, he worked as a defense official for the Iranian regime. They accused him of spying, and he was executed last week. Here was the response, and folks, to me, this is encouraging. I'm going to read it to you directly right off my phone from new British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. He called the execution of this joint British-Iranian national, quote, a callous and cowardly act carried out by a barbaric regime with no respect for the human rights of their own people. Now, as an American, I would personally love to see that kind of strong statement coming from the Biden administration when it comes to the Iranian regime. But sadly, I won't hold my breath. But the second reason European countries are finally starting to say, wait a minute, it's time to hold the IRGC accountable, is Iran's continued support for the Russian war machine in Ukraine. We've talked about it many times here in the newscast, right? How Iran is supplying hundreds, if not thousands, of attack drones to Vladimir Putin's regime to be used in Ukraine and also continued rumblings that Iran wants to supply Russia with ballistic missiles as well to help replenish Russia's stockpiles 11 months into that war in Ukraine. And the West is not happy as that as, about that as well. So we could see a groundswell forming. There were Iranians in the streets and European capitals over the weekend who were saying, enough is enough, sanction the IRGC. Where is this all heading? We talked to Benham Bentalablu, who's an Iran expert at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies in Washington, D.C. Talked to him recently as part of our TBN special, Revolution in Iran. Now, if you missed it, just go to Iran News here on the homepage on our YouTube channel and scroll around a little bit and you will find it. That was posted Uh, in December. I believe it was December 8th or 9th we posted it, so check that out. In the meantime, here's a very, very uh, insightful interview with Ben and Ben Talablu on everything happening in Iran right now and why it matters to you. Take a look. Well, we know that the Iranian regime is cracking down on protesters at home, but is it ready to lash out abroad as well? We're joined now by Benam Ben Talablu, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, in Washington, D.C., and an expert on all things Iran. Banam, look, we've got more and more reports from U.S., uh, British, Canadian officials even, saying they are concerned about Iranian regime activity on Western soil, even assassination plots in our backyard. Uh, What do you think the Iranian regime's next move is here in the West as these protests rage at home? Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, and you're, you're very wise to draw the linkage between domestic and foreign policy, particularly uh, given the fact that the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is the engine of domestic repression inside the Islamic Republic, also happens to be uh, the engine of foreign aggression outside the Islamic Republic. This is the group that has a long arm that has reached onto European soil, American soil, uh, Western soil, and has engaged uh, an attempted assassination, terrorism, and other kidnapping uh, attempts over the past few years has stepped those attempts up over the past few years and is likely going to continue uh, this pattern uh, of, of aggression. Right now, the regime is actually riding a high in terms of its foreign and security policy. It feels unstoppable. Uh, it, you know, it's launched ballistic missiles three times now at northern Iraq, at Iraqi Kurdistan. It's proliferated drones, not just in countries in the Middle East, but particularly now to Putin in Russia who is using them against Ukrainian civilians and critical infrastructure there. So the regime feels like it is not going to be stopped. And so I would not be surprised if any of the the threats that 
U.S., U.K., Canadian, and other political security and intelligence officials have been warning about if one or two of them end up do coming to fruition. Now, the good news is that some of the plots have been foiled or thwarted or intercepted in the past. But what you've seen from this regime is continuity and the law of numbers. And God forbid uh, that one of these plots actually land. Yes, sadly, this regime has earned its status as the world's number one state sponsor of terrorism, Banam. And it's really stunning. They are beset by problems at home, obviously, with the demonstrations ongoing. Yet they are still finding plenty of time and resources to devote to terror around the world. That includes Hamas, Hezbollah. It also includes their nuclear program. Banam, do you believe in the wake of the protest and what you just mentioned, Iran's growing relationship with Russia, another pariah state, do you believe that the Iranian nuclear deal, which the West has been so desperate to revive, could it finally be off the table now, or could we see it revive soon? You know, ultimately, the proof is going to be in the pudding on this. You know, if you ask me, even by 2015 standards, knowing what we knew about the Iranian nuclear program then and the fatally flawed deal called the JCPOA or the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action then, I think agreeing to that accord then even was a strategic mistake, a political mistake, and a moral mistake. But layering on what we know now about Iran's formerly concealed atomic archives that the Israelis seized and exposed to the international community, uh, that the regime now has been violating not just that agreement, uh, but the additional protocol and its safeguards agreement and much more important pillars of the global nonproliferation regime. That as of November 2021, the Europeans, who are no hawks on Iran's nuclear program, have been warning uh, not just America, but the whole world that the counterproliferation benefits of the deal are being eroded by Iran's nuclear advances, that the things the regime has been doing as it relates to enrichment and 60% purity, uh, phasing in more advanced centrifuges, which spin uranium at faster rates and greater output, and the production of uranium metal, which the regime has no immediate civilian need for, and in fact is used ultimately, uh, could be used ultimately for the core of a nuclear device in the future. These things are uh, irreversible in terms of the knowledge the regime has gained. So a deal that was fatally flawed by 2015 standards should absolutely be off the table uh, by 2022 standards, knowing what we know now. So it's a political mistake. It's a philosophical mistake. Uh, but it leads to strategic mistakes like, you know, being obsessed with this zombie agreement, this fatally flawed nuclear deal. I like that zombie agreement. That's a good way to put it, Banam. Hey, last question. Iran and its proxies have essentially surrounded Israel with a ring of fire. I mean, uh, like you said, drones, uh, missiles, rockets. If there is regime change, if these demonstrations are ultimately successful, we see the Mullah regime exit out of Iran. How much of a game changer is that for the region and even for Iran-Israel relations? It could be a new day. Oh, it absolutely could be a new day. It could be a restorative day when one looks at the history uh, of Iran-Israel relations in the 20th century, for instance. So if there is a fundamentally new regime in Tehran, there will be a fundamentally new foreign and security policy. Because one thing after 43 years is quite clear, that the Islamic Republic is a poor guardian of the Iranian national interest. And that Iran actually, if you look at it like objectively and through the lens of history, has much more in common with Israel and the West uh, than uh, maybe appears to the eyes of uh, the, some of Iran's Islamic leaders today. So there would be much more opportunity for collaboration uh, than conflict uh, in the future if there is that potential change of regime. But that big question then again is if, followed by when and how. 
Yeah, we shall see. The Iranian people are ready for change. That much is clear. Banam, thanks so much for following this. And thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Folks, again, if you'd like to watch that entire special revolution in Iran, just go to the Iran news category here on our homepage and you will find it. I strongly encourage you to check it out. We also speak to an Iranian evangelist who talks about what's going on with the Iranian church right now, and it is the fastest-growing church in the world. Amazing. So check that out. A quick programming note, we will have a Watchman Newscast live stream here on Wednesday on the channel between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Time, so be sure to bring your questions for that and join us live until tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining us here in the Watchman Newscast. God bless you, and remember, never hold your peace.